Witnesses tell lawmakers that reports of a Coast Guard sexual assault cover-up threatens national security. How will lawmakers continue to investigate the scandal? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. It is an abject failure of integrity that senior leaders have concealed, condoned, and otherwise enabled this behavior to thrive. And the Navy is testing out new air crew survival vests. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is December 13th, 2023. Just a note, our top two stories today discuss the issues of sexual assault and suicide. Lawmakers and whistleblowers said reports of a Coast Guard sexual assault cover-up that came to light in June threatens national security. Lawmakers questioned five whistleblowers during a Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee inquiry into the issue on Tuesday. Retired Air Force Colonel Lori Fenner leads the Government Affairs Division of the nonprofit Service Women's Action Network Advocacy Group. She fielded a question from Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal about how this could impact the service's readiness and retention. The Coast Guard is a really important military security institution, and let me just ask, would you agree that this issue is a national security and national defense issue. Absolutely, sir, and thank you for the question. Um, as a historian, it is shocking, but it is not new. It's shocking that it has continued for so long. But to speak to national security, again, I have the DOD background, as Secretary Austin has emphasized over his short tenure, the people are the thing. The people drive the ships, the people rescue the other people, the people fire the weapons. So if you don't take care of your people and their families, then you have this recruiting problem, this retention problem, this readiness problem, all of the associated problems of mental health and depression. And then do you have an effective, ready force to put in the field under stress and under fire? No, we do not. The whistleblowers were current and former members of the Coast Guard. The report, known as Operation Fouled Anchor, detailed years of sexual assault and inaction at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy from the late 1980s to 2006. It included instances of alleged misconduct by at least 43 Academy staff. The report came to light over the summer when CNN and other outlets detailed dozens of sexual assault reports filed by Academy cadets. Leadership is accused of either ignoring or covering up the accusations. One witness testified that she dropped out of the academy in 2005 after multiple instances of sexual assault. She said her assailant had groped her on numerous occasions, at times in front of dozens of witnesses. Another coastie, retired Lieutenant Melissa McCafferty, had taken a trip to New York City with an older cadet. After making clear they'd have two hotel rooms, McCafferty went with the cadet, but there was only one room. McCafferty said the older cadet repeatedly raped her over three days. She did not report it out of fear of retaliation, eventually attempting to end her life in 2017. It is an abject failure of integrity that senior leaders have concealed, condoned, and otherwise enabled this behavior to thrive. It is an abject failure of leadership that they have refused to address the systemic nature of this abuse. It is an absolute abject failure of character 
that they have continued to prioritize loyalty to themselves and to each other over that of our organization and our people. In July, Coast Guard Commandant Admiral Linda Fagan, who assumed the role in June 2022, ordered a 90-day accountability and transparency review of the service's sexual assault and harassment policies. Released on December 6th, some of Fagan's recommendations include creating a prevention program modeled after the Defense Department and increasing oversight of the Coast Guard Academy. Fagan, who was the first woman to lead a branch of the U.S. military, told lawmakers this past July that senior Coast Guard leaders need to begin to rebuild trust within the service. I'm the Commandant now, and I am committed to that not happening again. I'm committing to moving forward in a manner that's consistent with the transparency uh, that I strive for as Commandant and that you expect as the Oversight Committee. I've uh, initiated a 90-day transparency and accountability review to understand what are the aspects of the culture that have allowed uh, this to occur. It started as legacy sexual assaults that were mishandled at the Coast Guard Academy, but it is clear to me that we've got a culture in areas that is permissive and allows sexual assaults, harassment, bullying, retaliation, that's inconsistent with our core values. It is not the workforce that, that I want or expect, and we have got work to do. In other news, lawmakers are pressing for more outside help in preventing veteran suicides. For more on this, Military Times Capitol Hill Bureau Chief Leo Shane III joins the episode. So Leo, what are the Department of Veterans Affairs researchers saying about trends in the suicide rate among veterans? And what are VA officials saying about their efforts to combat suicide? Yeah, last month, Department of Veterans Affairs came out with their most recent uh, suicide data. This is back in 2021, but um, they saw the number increase just slightly from 2020. It's about 17 and a half veterans a day now. Um, And that number's been fairly stable for the last 20 years or so. The 2021 numbers were actually the lowest they've seen since 2007, but everything's around the same rate, losing about uh, 6,000, 6,400, somewhere in that range, um, losing that many veterans a a year. And that's just a, just a tremendous number when you're talking about preventable deaths, when you're talking about the amount of resources the VA has has put in over the years in trying to bring the number down and just trying to make sure that all veterans have mental health care, emergency health care that they need. So why are lawmakers frustrated with federal officials' lack of progress in preventing veterans' suicides? Yeah, they've, they've seen, you know, this story before. They've seen it each year, even when it goes down, it goes down by a, a small margin. Uh, you know, only about a third of the veterans who are dying by suicide are folks who have regular contact with the Department of Veterans Affairs. So there's a real feeling within uh, within Congress and within some of the veterans groups that, uh, that they just aren't reaching the people they really need to if they want to bring this number down. Now, uh, in the last few years, we have seen a new suicide prevention grant program to, to try and move money to community groups who who can reach some of those folks. Uh, it's about $170 million over a five-year uh, stint. Um, it's a lot of money for, for you and me, but for the federal government, there's a pretty small investment there. Um, and we're expecting to see a report on just how those efforts have been next March. Um, the, the, in a hearing before Department of Veterans Affairs, or, I'm sorry, before the House Veterans Affairs Committee on Tuesday, a lot of lawmakers said they're, they're really banking on this program, showing some results, and they want to look at maybe increasing it, maybe find more 
ways because these are groups that that can can reach veterans more more easily um know who in their community may be hurting and may just be a good alternative for folks who are skeptical of va or or afraid to engage with them so the hope is that if they can boost these programs if they're showing results and showing that they're reaching more veterans maybe that can help bring this this number down and maybe more veterans will just find better outlets for when they need emergency care or just general support As a reminder, veterans in need of emergency counseling can reach the Veterans Crisis Line by dialing 988. Also on your radar for today, the Navy is testing out new aircrew survival vests for helicopter and V-22 Osprey crews. For more on this, Navy Times reporter Diana Stancy joins the episode. So Diana, can you tell us more about this vest that is currently in use and what the new vest would bring for sailors? Yes, so the current vest, known as the Navy Aircrew Endurance Vest System, has been in place since 2010 for both helicopter and Osprey aircrews. However, it's very bulky and uses um, very heavy materials that can be cumbersome for pilots and other aircrew members. And so what the Navy has found is that this can contribute to overheating issues as well as neck and back pain for those aircrew members. So But there's a lot more options available today. So given uh, the improved materials, fabrics, and design features that are um, available now, the Navy can now seek out more comfortable options for sailors. So at this point, pilots, aircrew, and maintainers on both the East and West Coast have participated in fleet assessments with these new vests, um, those wrapped up in the fall, and they've provided feedback um, on those vests. The next steps will be uh, using that information and then fielding at least one of those tested vests. And what issues does the service say it is trying to resolve with this new option? When and when could we see it put to use? Yes, so ultimately the service is looking for a lighter vest option that number one, improves overall comfort, and number two, helps reduce these acute neck and back problems. So according to the Navy, this is uh, really important, especially as the length of missions aircrew are expected to conduct expands. Basically, the new vests aim to regulate the thermal burden and also better distribute weight loads. The current vest the Navy plans to adopt is expected to weigh roughly 20% less than the current vest. Additionally, the Navy is also seeking to make some modifications to some of the survival gear that is mounted on the vest and instead replace those items with smaller and lighter equipment to overall reduce the vest weight by a total of 40%. It's unclear at the moment when these vests would potentially be introduced to the fleet. However, the next steps right now are for the Navy to review the information that pilots, aircrew, and maintainers did provide during those fleet assessments. Thanks, Diana. If you enjoyed that conversation, please like and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And now here's some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. U.S. Central Command said the Navy warship Mason came to the aid of a Norwegian commercial ship that was struck by a cruise missile in the Red Sea's Bab el-Mandeb Strait this week. In case you missed it, Secretary of the Navy Carlos del Toro announced this week that a future destroyer will be named after J. William Middendorf II, who served as Secretary of the Navy under Presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford. A Japanese court convicted three former Japanese soldiers yesterday in a sexual assault case. Authorities had dropped the case until the victim, a former service member, came forward demanding a reinvestigation and prompting a military-wide harassment probe. And Pakistan's military and officials said a suicide bomber detonated his explosive-laden vehicle at a police station's main gate in northwest Pakistan yesterday. It killed at least 23 troops and wounded 32 others. 
And on this day in history, in 1918, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson arrived in France to promote his plan for a post-World War I League of Nations. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by myself, Leo Shane III, and Diana Stancy. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Gruse. Have a great day.